Three weeks ago, we finished with the Lord Jesus Christ coming according to Matthew chapter 24. This morning, we want to look at the arrival of the kingdom of Christ as it appears in the future. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 24, and we'll jump a little bit into 25 as well, but at the end of this uh, uh, message, we'll be primarily in this section. The statement of John the Baptist when he came was, the message was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand is a message that is still future. The kingdom of heaven is still at hand. Jesus preached the same word. The kingdom is at hand. But in the middle of the Lord Jesus' ministry, it became apparent that the people were not ready to accept the kingdom. In fact, they rejected the offer of the kingdom. And as Jesus even marched as the king, according to Zechariah 9.9, on a donkey, as predicted into Jerusalem, Jesus said, as he walked in there, if you would have only known this your day and the things that were there. The end of that week, they crucified Jesus on the cross and the people who were shouting, uh, Hosanna, and blessed be the name of the Lord, by the end of the week, many of them were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So the kingdom has been, in essence, postponed. But we saw three weeks ago in Matthew chapter 24 that he, he will come back again and there will be all kinds of signs with regard to his return. Matthew 24, verse 35, the very words of Jesus, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It is a sure thing. And these are, I, I don't think the words of Jesus as written in the New Testament are any more important than the words of the apostles or the prophets in the scripture. But it is significant that the Lord makes this claim. Jesus gave a discord on the Mount of Olives regarding his second return to the earth. He'd already made it clear to the apostles, disciples, that he was, the kingdom was not going to come immediately through parables. And so it was prophesied by Zechariah and other prophets that he would reign on the earth from the city of Jerusalem. For example, look at Zechariah 14, verse 16. Then it will come about that any who are left, this is after his return on the Mount of Olives, any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So he is coming back again and he will reign from Jerusalem and a temple will be rebuilt Ezekiel predicts in chapters 40 and following. So let's take a look at the establishment of Christ's kingdom and the gathering of the living nations and we find this in Matthew chapter 24 beginning with 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days we read that he will come again and get the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. 
the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now, he's already said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. How do we to take that? I take it literally. This really will happen. Now, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. In other words, there is a tribulation coming, and this tribulation has been predicted over 500 years before Christ. We read this in Daniel when Daniel was reading the word of God. Daniel was in captivity in Babylon. And he is reading the prophet of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah predicted that the Babylonian captivity would last 70 years. So Daniel is saying as he's confessing the sin of Israel, hey, we're close to the end of the seven years. And he is saying, what next? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. You need to see it, not just on the board, but you need to see it in your own Bible and read it. And we read this, that when, we, that when, he, uh, that when he was wondering about this, we read in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 70 weeks of years, really. The Hebrews didn't have a way to say, uh, they didn't have a word for weeks, actually. And their time was uh, told in, in seven years. We talked about this in a Bible study uh, on, uh, in one of our Bible studies recently. And that is that the, the period of a work week was, you worked how many days? Six, right? And you rested the seven. Not only did you do that, you were to also farm six years. Seventh year, you let it lay idle. You got enough crop on the sixth year to bide you over on the seventh year. So you only worked. You farmed the land six years, rested the seventh. So you want to keep the Sabbath, then maybe you should only work your field six years and rest the Sabbath, okay? I didn't hear any uh, amen on that. <laughs> I was hoping to hit some response. Well, here's the problem. Go back to Zechariah, go back to 2 Chronicles 36. And for 490 years, the children of Israel did not keep the Sabbath year, which amounted to up to 70 years of Sabbath years had not been kept. So God said, the captivity in Babylon, you didn't keep those 70 years of rest. I'm going to give the land rest while you're in Babylon for 70 years. That period of time now is coming to a close. And so the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel while he's praying and confessing the sin of the people. In verse 24, he says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people, that's Israel, and your holy city, that's Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. <clears throat> so 70 weeks of years amounts to 490 years. Been thinking in 490 years, they hadn't kept the Sabbath. Now he tells them in 490 more years, 
then I will bring in an end of uh, transgressions and bring in righteousness. I will bring in the millennium. A thousand year reign as we read later in Revelation chapter 20. So he says, this is what's going to happen. The Israelites were to count. When do you start counting this? Well, you start to count it, it says, in, while you're in Daniel, it says, you start to count when God says, or when the people are to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. I have it on the board. Nehemiah chapter 2, rather, verses 4 to 5. And then the king said to me, Nehemiah, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it please the king, if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. <clears throat> That's when you start counting the 490 years at that moment. Then when you go to verse 26 in Daniel, after seven and 62 weeks, we read, <clears throat> then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, after a period of seven years plus 62, you have 69 weeks. And so you have now 480 uh, what that? 483 years, the 489th week, and the Messiah is cut off. Remember Jesus said something very interesting? If you would have known what? This what? Day. On the day of the ending of that prophecy, had the people been alert, they would have known that Jesus came into Jerusalem to set up his kingdom. But you would not. I just think of Jesus a lot of times uh, when I've been in Israel and stood on the Mount of Olives. And I picture myself and seeing Jesus standing there saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. First time I saw Jerusalem, I wept. I mean, it was an emotional experience to me. And to realize this city is going to see a bloodbath like no other with the blood running in the Kidron Valley up to a horse's bridle. That's destruction, isn't it? If you'd have known this. And then he says in verse 26 again, he says, and he will make, that's a prince who is to come, he will make a firm covenant with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop to sacrifice and grain offering on the wings of abomination will come one who makes desolate even until the complete destruction that is decreed it is poured out on the one who makes desolate. He will make a firm covenant for one week, seven years. Uh, we all know that by the time he comes, he's going to cut off the sacrifice and he's going to cut off the offering. So we know that a temple has to be built. 
in Jerusalem. There is no temple in Jerusalem right now. In fact, uh, the Mosque of Omar stands on uh, the foundation of the temple today. <clears throat> I think the group that went last time to Israel from our church was not allowed to go on that particular platform. That's debatable week by week, day by day, and whether the visitors can go on that particular mountain. But there is no temple there today. And the Jews want to build a temple, at least the conservative Orthodox Jew wants to build a temple there. <clears throat> and if in order to build a temple there, they've got to wipe off that Mosque of Omar. What will that cause? A royal jihad. And so it's going to take a pretty firm covenant with Israel for them to be able to build that temple, even if they built it on the side of the, that particular mosque. So he makes a treaty, but he cuts it off in half. Half of that seven years, three and a half, he cuts it off. And he, the Antichrist, sets himself in the temple and says, I am God. I am God. And he, the <clears throat> Antichrist, rules the world for three and one half years. One leader ruling the entire world for three and a half years. And he is a blasphemous leader. And he is the portage, he is Satan's greatest portage or whatever. He's the greatest person. Now, the tribulation of those days, as mentioned by Jesus, will be the events that occur prior to Christ's second coming. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Nobody will miss it that's living on the earth at that time. Look at Matthew 24, verse 30, where we see now the citizens of the kingdom that he is now going to establish. In Matthew 24, verse 30, we read, <coughs> And then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with him a great trumpet and the, a great trumpet, I don't think that's exact, my notes are saying exactly what the Bible says here, a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. When he comes, he will gather all of the living people after the tribulation. Remember, two-thirds of the world's population will be killed in seven years. What is the population of the world now? Did anybody have a guess? Pardon? Nine billion? Eight billion? Okay, let's say ten billion just to keep the math easy. Two-thirds, six billion plus will be killed in seven years. Now we think it's horrible when a tsunami came in a couple of years ago around Christmas and wiped out 200,000 plus people. 
We think it's terrible when an earthquake in Turkey and Syria wipe out over 50,000. Can you imagine when you think about the Second World War, how many millions were killed? First World War, Vietnam, the war in uh, Middle East, Iraq, the, the war in Afghanistan, how many people were killed? Can you imagine how many people will kill, how big, how great a death that will be? Well, the people that are alive, the people that <clears throat> are alive after that particular event of the seven years, he'll gather them from all over, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, probably just uh, to remind you that Revelation talks about this. The book of Revelation. Let's just take a thumbnail sketch of Revelation. Go with me through Revelation in your mind or you can follow in your Bible. First of all, the first chapter of Revelation talks about John's vision of Jesus Christ. It's a vision that you can't paint in a picture. Then in chapters 2 and 3, John talks about the seven churches that are alive in a period of seven churches of which all the churches are fit in one or, or two of these particular churches. At the end of chapter 3, we have the rapture of the church. And John is called to heaven to see a scene in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. What happens in this particular worship service is that the title deed of the universe is held in the arms of the Father. Remember when Adam sinned, he was told he was to subdue the earth. He was told he was to have control of the earth. He was the king of the earth. And when he sinned, he, he was the, being king of the earth was taken from him. Satan became the prince and power of the air, according to the New Testament. Satan became the, the god of this world. And he's a usurper. He is a squatter. He doesn't deserve that title. He just took it over because of man's sin. God has that title in his hands. And in the worship service, John sees the father with the title deed in his hand. And John weeps and he says, who's going to take that? Who's going to take that title deed? And then he sees one like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, walking up, and he gives that, he takes over that title deed. He takes over that scroll. And then in chapter 6 to 19, Jesus unrolls the title deed. There's seven seals on it. It's sealed with seven seals. So as he breaks one seal, there's judgment on the earth. Two seals, there's another judgment. When he gets to the seventh seal, it is included seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments that are more severe and take place more rapidly than the first six seals. When he gets to the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet reveals seven bowls of wrath which are more severe and they occur more rapidly. You want to know how bad they are? Just take a look at math, or Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. 
Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. <clears throat> Folks, this is not going to be a Sunday school picnic. And all the judgments we've had as reminders that we're not in control, according to Luke 13. For example, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. For example, the tsunami. For example, the tornadoes. For example, all the things of acts of God, so-called, take place. But in Revelation chapter 6 and verse, uh, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12, we read this. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig tree cast its unripe figs and were shaken by a great wind, and the sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Is that going to happen? I say so. I say so. Heaven and earth will not pass away. I used to think when I was a kid and I heard about these things, and uh, my folk, I, we lived in a country, and uh, our driveway was a quarter mile into the section. And my folks would go to town, and I'd stay home. And they said, oh, we'll be home at 9 o'clock, and it's 10 o'clock, and they weren't home yet. I thought maybe I'd miss the rapture of the church. So I'd, I'd, I'd think, you know what I'll do? I'll run to Colorado and hide in the mountains. And then I read this. I don't think that's a very safe place. Hawaii's going to be moved. What kind of turmoil is that going to be on the earth? This is only still the first half. We're not through this yet. Take a look at chapter 9, verse 18. Chapter 9 of Revelation and verse 18. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths, speaking of demons. It's going to be demonic activity. How about uh, 13, verse 5? 13, verse 5 of Revelation. And we read this. There was given to him, the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months were given to him. How much is 42 months in terms of years? Three and a half. Didn't David 700 years, 500 years before Christ say that the firm treaty would only be was for seven years, but when would it break? In the middle. Half of seven is what? Three and a half years, 42 months. So Daniel and Revelation jive. How about chapter 19, verse 20? Revelation 19, verse 20. Where we read this. And the beast was seized with him, the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. And were, those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which beams with brimstone, 
and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's what's coming. I'm not going to see that and you're not going to see that according to the word of God because we belong to the church age which is not part of Israel. And the 70th week of his 70th week of Daniel, the 490th week, that particular week will be reserved for Israel to repent of their rejection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and to also correct the Gentiles who have treated Israel badly and who also have rejected God. Now we see another sign in Matthew chapter 24. Some assurance here. Matthew 24, 24. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now this verse has been taken out of context, I believe, horribly over the years. But what, what he's saying is, I say to you, this Ganea, this generation, is the generation that is alive when these signs take place. In May of 1948, Israel became a nation for the first time. And many people thought that this generation would, the Lord would come in this generation. Well, there's been several generations since 1948. But the fits the context the best is that the generation that sees these signs will remain until the com second coming of Christ. And then the divine certification in verse 24 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus Christ, quote, if you want to put emphasis on that. And if that's not true, he's a liar. Then he's lying to us. Matthew 5.18 says verily, basically the same thing. Matthew 5.18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter of the stroke will pass from the law until all is accomplished. If I had a chalkboard or a, don't use those anymore, overhead or a, should have put it in a PowerPoint, what is the jot and the tittle? Well, it's like when you write longhand and you write, how can you tell an L from an I? You put a cross in it and that says it's a T, right? Or it looks like an E. If you put a dot above it, you know it's an I. The crossing of the T and the dotting of the I would be equivalent to a jot and tittle in that particular area. Just a small mark in the part of the language. Not even the crossing of a T or the dotting of an I will pass away until all is fulfilled. Now he quotes, there's another sign, the sign of the days of Noah. It's an unknowable day. Look at Matthew 24, 36 and following. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. In my lifetime, there has been two 
two times that some weak Christian hath tried to set the date. The first one and the major one that I remember is 1988. Jesus Christ was supposed to come in September 18 of 1988 by a so-called popular evangelical preacher who should have known better. And people got all uh, shook up actually. I remember sitting in a restaurant in Hutchinson, Kansas and when people would come stop by the office, we'd go to this restaurant, have coffee in the morning generally, when most, when most of the visitors would come. So she came to me, <clears throat> the owner of the restaurant came to me and she said, is it true that Jesus Christ will come in September this year? I said, no, not true. No one knows. And I can tell you right now, He's not going to come the date that some human being has set because no one knows. But I can also tell you he is coming. He's coming either before or after, but maybe not that date. No one knows. Now look at the other line in this. <clears throat> no one knows, not even Jesus in his incarnate state. Jesus didn't even know. When he was on the earth, remember, he emptied himself of what? The independent use of his attributes. He only knew, as a man, 100%, he only knew what God, the Holy Spirit, told him. So he didn't know. You want to know something else about him? We talked about it this morning. When Jesus was six, seven years old, what did he know? He knew what a full, mature, perfect, six, seven-year-old knew. He grew in stature and what? He grew in wisdom. The Son of God grew in wisdom. And when he preached, he preached what God the Father would have him say via the Holy Spirit. He was a man. And he couldn't be 100% man if he could do all these miracles without the Holy Spirit. You and I can't do that. Remember when he was tempted by Satan and he was very hungry and fasted for 40 days and nights? And Satan said, okay, Jesus, make this stone bread. Could Jesus have done that? Right. You know what, you know what uh, Satan wanted him to do? To break that covenant. To break that bond between 100% man and 100% deity. And what did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone. But by what? Every word that proceeds from the Father. He didn't know. Does he know now? Well, let's just take a look, just to review quickly. We did it in our Sunday school hour, Bible fellowship hour. Look at Philippians 2, 4, 5 through 8, actually. It says 4 to 8, but it should be 5. Have this attitude in yourself 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, literally doulos, slave, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. He died as a man. What humbling thing is it to die? You being God. How humbling is it to die? There's nothing pretty about death. Physical death. But the death of the cross, that's even more humbling. The Son, however, now has been glorified in that he is fully in the know. John 17, 1 says, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. So he uh, uh, did this on the cross. Now, you know, I'm jumping ahead here. I missed the whole page somehow or other, but I've been talking about, what have I been talking about? I, I skipped the fig tree, didn't I? Well, I, I don't want to do that. But anyway, he did not know the hour nor the, the time. Somebody help me out. Where am I? Okay. I know where I am now. Okay. So he does, so the generation he found there. Now let's take a look at the, uh, at the fig tree. Let's go back and take a look at the fig tree in Matthew 24, 32. The parable of the fig tree when its branch has already become and puts forth its leaves, you know it is summer is near. So you too, when you see these signs, these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There's where I jumped the gun. Now the fig tree has also been missed misinterpreted uh, too and all kinds of all kinds of uh, confusion about it but, but it's really a very simple illustration a fig tree is common in Israel and its leaves uh, loses its leaves in winter and when the branches of the tree become tender it produces leaves and you know summer is near spring is over summer is near and the fig tree has been used over the years to picture Israel. Jeremiah 24, the Lord showed me, behold, two baskets of figs, speaking of the good and badness of Israel. Joel 1, 6 and 7, for a nation has invaded my land. It has made my, my vine a waste and my fig tree splinters. It has stripped them bare and cast them away. So Hosea 9, 10, I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in the first center, in the first side. So when you see these signs appear, uh, it's pretty simple. Now we're in March, 
and I noticed some trees already are shooting buds. You notice that? When we were in uh, Birmingham a couple of weeks ago, uh, the figs, the trees were out almost. Here, the buds are just starting. I planted a tree last year, paid good money for it, decorative tree, and I can't see a sign yet that it's alive. I keep looking at the buds to see if they're budding. But when they start budding, I know that uh, spring is near. Now this week we were forecasted to have a snowstorm. That's not unusual for Nebraska, is it? But we do know that spring is coming. And whatever snow we get, it's not gonna last very long. So that's a sign. When they see that sign, this generation sees that sign, they know it's coming. Now, let's jump to the warning signs of Noah. Jesus has been glorified. All authority has been given to him. And in Acts 2.36 we read, Therefore let all the house of Israel know. I don't know where you are, Ruth. I'm all over the place in the PowerPoint, we go to Acts 2.36, page 5, and you'll get it. And you see that Jesus Christ has been glorified by the time of the day of Pentecost. I want to dwell a little bit on another thing because it's really pertinent to today. Comparative to the days of Noah, the warning signs, verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Noah's days ended with a judgment of the flood. The people could see the ark being built. And Noah preached, according to 1 Peter and 2 Peter, Noah preached while the ark was being built for 120 years. Now, we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, his wife and his sons and their wives. And he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. 1 Peter chapter 3, 20 says, Who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. They paid no attention. It took 120 years to build this ark. And people no doubt mocked him and laughed. They'd never seen rain. The earth was watered by a canopy over the earth. The earth was one temperature. They'd never seen rain, and for Noah to say rain is coming, judgment is coming, a flood is coming, they all laughed him to shame. During the time of the tribulation, people will explain supernatural judgments in a natural way, or a, people will believe the lie. Why not? What's a lie today? God didn't create the world in six days. It all came over time and chance. And things are getting better. We have amoebas crawling out of a swamp and reproducing themselves. 
into alligators, frogs, and other amphibious animals, lizards and the like. Some of the lizards turned into four-footed beasts like a pig. And a pig decided he'd go back in the water and he became a porpoise. These kind of things you hear. It's ridiculous. God made him in the beginning. Specie does not cross specie. Dobjonsky, back a few years ago, decided to show that species could change and intermingle. So he started with a fruit fly. The fruit fly lived 10 days, a generation. 40 years he did it. Exposed the fruit fly to radiation, starvation, interbreeding, mixed breed, did everything. 40 years later, he gets a fruit fly after 10-day generation. God said balance. Certain animals within animals can breed like a horse and a donkey can produce a mule. But you can take two ducks and what can you do with these two ducks? The elasticity within their genetic structure and isolation, you can get all kinds of ducks. Now, we have a what is called a designer dog, Papapoo. It's not a breed. It's a design between a, uh, a poodle and something else. Six pounds at the best. And we have it groomed, and we had it groomed, and there was a Great Dane there, so the groomer took our dog sitting beside this Great Dane. And you know what? They're both what? And every cat can tell it. <laughs> They're dogs. But people believe a lie. Here's what's going to happen during that tribulation period. Look at Second Samuel. Thessalonians 2, 15, 2 Samuel 2, verse 5, excuse me. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, Paul said? And you know what restrains him now? We talked about it this morning, Holy Spirit. So that his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way, the rapture of the church. Then the lawlessness one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accordance with the captivity, activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Like today, the people of Noah had not seen any rain. They did not think a worldwide flood was possible. To them, it was ridiculous. They lived, they lived like they always lived, ignorant and opposed to God's truth. They were in verse 38. They read Matthew 25, 38. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark and it was too late. 
In Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, the Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things and birds of the sky, for I am sorry I made man. Wow. You look at the sins of Noah in those days, in, math, in Genesis 6, 1 and 2, there was a co-mingling with human, with the spirit world. Um, it's kind of funny how that all works, even today, doesn't it? Where do you think they got the idea of the Greeks that the gods were half man and half animal? And gods. Where do you think they got that idea? When I was in high school, we had a movie out called Rosemary's Baby. And Satan impregnated a woman, and he became a leader. Where do, you, where do we get these bizarre movies? You ever wonder where they come from? Mixing, and you got people flying through the air and having supernatural power and all that. Where does that come from? I have a hunch where it comes from. Then here's the result. He gathers all the nations together. And Matthew 25, verses 40 and 41, I'll tell you what this means. And then faith will have the car ready. And I'll leave right after it's over. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. At the end of the coming of Christ, you will call all the elect from the nation to, nations to go into the, into the kingdom. The ones who, re, who have rejected Christ who have rejected God, will be cast into hell, place of torments. But there will be two men in a field, two women in a field. One will be taken. The ones who are taken go to hell. The ones who stay go into the kingdom. At the rapture of the church will be just the opposite. But at the second coming of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> I went to Sunday school and we sang, two shall be together, gathered at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left behind. And the idea was that the one taken went to heaven and the one left behind was judged. It's opposite. So the ones who go into the kingdom are the ones who believe. During the tribulation period, according to Revelation, God will choose two witnesses who will witness of the saving grace of God. They will be killed at the middle of the tribulation. Under their ministry, 12,000 men from every tribe of Israel will be saved. There will be 144,000 fanatic missionaries. Millions of people will come to Christ most of which will die of martyrs. And the believers who live, survive this tribulation period, will be ushered into Christ's kingdom and populate it and reign and rule with Christ for 1,000 years. That's our hope, folks. Our hope is that we're going to be with Christ. 
And that when he returns, we're going to be at that service where we're going to see the, pay, the notes rolled up. Happen to roll up the wrong notes but this morning. But roll up the notes or roll up the scroll, they're going to see it. We're going to see that. And we're going to see the second coming of Jesus Christ through the earth as well. An experience going up. Whether we die or whether we live as believers in Christ. In light of all that you're hearing on the news today and disappointment and discourage and all those kinds of things, let me tell you, there is a hope. We as believers have this hope. We need to share this hope with all who we come in contact. Jesus Christ is truly the answer. Not that he gets us. He saves us. He don't get us. He saves us from sin. Let us stand for prayer. and We'll have an elder stand here, up here if you need prayer or you want to just talk to him about something in your life or you just want to greet him. Father, I thank you that uh, you've given us a pattern of the future and I thank you for the hope we have in Christ. And even though we have troubles in our life and we have earthquakes and tornadoes and all kinds of things happening in the world, it's hardly the tribulation. But I thank you, Lord, for even the suffering and tribulation to come into our life. It's for a purpose, to strengthen us, to encourage us. Father, you give them to us that we might show the world that we have a God who cares. And even during the roughest of times, we can ride through it with the Spirit's help. So, Father, we pray you'll be with us this morning. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.